The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all-new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high-quality ingredients like seasoned slow-roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. The Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, where on Tuesday on this podcast, Joe House, Ryan Russell, and I, we picked NBA over under win totals for every team in the league. And now you can play with us on FanDuel. We've teamed with them. We've created a new free game. It's called the Ringer Win Totals Pick'em. Pick the over-unders for 14 NBA teams. You can go over, you can go under for all of them. Scoring title, winner as the tiebreaker. See if you can beat me and Russell and House. Go to FanDuel.com slash WinTotalsPick'em and you can play against us. So there's that. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network where the Prestige TV podcast has gone to a whole other level. We had three straight succession podcasts this week. Me and Joe House, we did a 25 favorite, best, whatever you want, most lovable, whatever you want to call it, succession characters. Counted it down, 25 to one. All right, full disclosure, it was my list. House just reacted to it. But did that on Wednesday. Joanna Robinson and Sean Fennessy did a deep dive on the last episode of season two to get you ready for season three. And then on Friday, coming up, Chris Ryan and Big Waz have a precap for episode one, which is coming Sunday night, Succession. It is back next week. We'll have a couple Succession reaction podcasts. We'll also, I think we're doing something about, I know what you did last summer. We're going to have a mid-season morning show, uh, the show on Apple. Mid-season report on that one. And the house and I did a Curb Your Enthusiasm Hall of Fame episode that we taped when you were sitting there late. So that's going to run on that next week as well. Not an episode you're going to guess we picked, but I think start to finish, it is the most unassailably excellent, funniest Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. So that's it. That's your spoiler alert. That's all I'm telling you. Uh, coming up, Going to talk a little about the baseball game at the top, Dodgers, Giants, and the baseball playoffs in general. And then going to have Peter Schrager do million-dollar picks, talk about the John Gruden situation and whether it's going to ruin the Raiders' season or not, and also how the NFL handled it and where all of that is headed. And my old friend Jay Caspian Kang, who I used to work at Grantland with, we're going to talk about the Kyrie situation and a couple other sports takes that he has. So there you go. That's the podcast. It's all coming up next. First, our friends. From Pearl Jam. Hey, 
All right, taping this. It is almost 10 o'clock Pacific time on Thursday night. Man, I feel for the Giants fans and Dodger fans on the East Coast who had to stay up late for one of the most tense playoff games I can remember in a while. And if you're a Giants fan, you lose that game on a check swing. That wasn't even a check swing. And, it, you know, if nobody was on base, it would be one thing. You had a guy on first base. There was some some bad momentum headed the Dodgers way. Turner bobbles the grounder and you just think like, uh-oh, that's a bad sign. You start getting the Tony Fernandez flashbacks. Buckner's the worst case scenario, obviously. But you think of all the bad fielding plays over the years and you think, oh, could this be it? I, I tweeted during the game, it reminded me of those Braves-Pirates games from 30 years ago, which I still feel like um, were some of the best baseball games I've ever seen in my life. If you go on YouTube, you watch the 92 NLCS. Sid Bream scores, and I think Francisco Cabrera had the hit to left field. Sid Bream, lumbering first baseman. Bonds is in left field, the greatest defensive left fielder, probably of all time, certainly the best one I've ever seen. Bream rounds third. Bonds throws, it's a little off target. Catcher gets there, misses by a split second. A young Sean McDonough is announcing, and he does this, safe, safe, and... It's just that those games for my generation, you know, the Twins in the World Series that year, the Jack Morris, the one nothing game and all that stuff, that they had a certain pace to them, a certain rhythm, low scoring. Every pitch seemed like it mattered. That's what the game felt like tonight. This Dodgers-Giants series, you know, they've been circling each other all year. 107 wins for the Giants, 106 for the Dodgers. And I have some Dodger fans in my life who were just furious that they had to do a playing game just to get into the into the playoffs, have to win that, use up their best pitcher, and then on top of it, the 107-win Giants are playing, are waiting for them, um, and they go head-to-head. I, as a Red Sox fan, was really rooting for the Giants because I did not want to play the Dodgers. I think that's the most talented team that's left. It really seemed like the Giants, it had all the makings of the Giants walk-off homery of the crowd there. Um, you know, everyone's standing on every pitch and it just, you could just feel the celebration coming. A couple of things happened. One, Mookie was incredible. I mean, he had four hits. I felt like the TBS guys could have spent, um, a lot more time talking about how Mookie basically had one third of the hits in the game heading into the last inning. Um, four for four created the only run in the game was just, just great at bat after great at bat. And, uh, that's who he is. You know, he's certainly one of the best Red Sox players I ever saw. He's certainly a guy that in a big game, a game like this, where it's going to come down to one or two plays and um, it's not necessarily who can hit the homer at the right time game. That's the guy you want out of anyone in the league. This is the guy who can manufacture more ways to win a game than anybody in his generation. Did it again. Um, No surprise to anybody who's watched him. Uh, He was actually on deck in the ninth. It was third and second. The terrible Turner butt. I don't know what they were doing with that one. Didn't get that at all. But then it ended up being third and second. And I was hoping for the walk with Mookie coming up with the uh, the bases loaded. Didn't happen. But uh, I was torn because it was better for the Red Sox if the Giants won. But I love Mookie. So I'm, I, I'm just, it, it, it's incapable. Unless he's playing the Red Sox, I'm incapable of, of uh, rooting against Mookie. Anyway, it was a phenomenal series. 
I'm a Giants fan, I'm obviously would be out of my mind. I if it were if that had happened to the Red Sox, I'd be in a coma. If if we lost our season went down the drain on a check swing that wasn't even a check swing, you could see from the body language of the batter, he didn't even it wasn't even a question that it wasn't a that, that it was a check swing and not a strikeout. He just was immediately back to like figuring out his next step, next approach to the next pitch, and all of a sudden the game's over. Um, but look, that's baseball sometimes. And if it was like third and second, I think it's worse. I still think it's terrible anyway. But the bottom line is they put themselves in that position with, uh, you know, giving up the game-winning hit to Bellinger, who has been the Achilles heel of this Dodgers team all year. The irony of him getting the biggest hit. This is the guy, every Dodger fan in my life, this was the guy. It's like the what's wrong with Bellinger was the predominant conversation of the season for them. Um, he ends up getting the big hit. They advance. And this Red Sox thing, I didn't talk about it on Tuesday because we were doing the overrunners, two parts. I, I was in that NBA mode for that pod. I thought it would have been weird to start with the Red Sox thing. but. Um, this is the most invested I've been in a Red Sox season since 2008. I, I actually really thought about this. I went through all the seasons. What was the most baseball I've watched in a given year? In 2008 and earlier, you know, that was when I was watching a ton. Um, I had more time in 2008. We didn't, you know, we 30 for 30 was going at that point. I had my column podcast, but I still had enough spare time to really follow a season when once Grantland started and I started doing NBA stuff and the, you know, you just the, the days and weeks fly by and you realize you haven't seen nearly as enough Red Sox as you wanted. Um, also, the sport got a little slower, a little less fun to follow. I felt like I was growing out of baseball a little bit. The 2018 sucked it back a little bit. That was such a fun team. The outfield we had, but then you know, they trade Mookie, they do the rebuild and combined with the weird COVID season last year, I really was looking at a situation where I didn't, I thought baseball was starting to die for me. You know, I was in my fifties. I had gotten four World Series from the Red Sox that I never expected, never thought they would win a World Series in my life, thought I was going to live and die without getting one. And the game's slower. I don't like the owners. I thought the Mookie trade was unforgivable. I still feel that way. I've talked about that many times on this podcast. And it's like, if if you can't give me that guy to root for for 20 years, how can I still care about this team? Got a little sucked back into them in spring training. Um, the energy, Alex Cora coming back, who's the best manager in the history of the franchise as far as I'm concerned. Um, Started to get sucked in. You might remember in the pods in late March, early April, me talking about, I just had a feeling I thought this Red Sox team was going to be better than people expected. And I started watching. And part of it was, you know, the COVID, being home more, always had them on. And it became this old school baseball season for me. And I, I think one of the great things about baseball, if you really love it, is the rhythms of the season, the ebbs and flows. And it's just kind of on. It's like the background noise of your day and your week. It's just, it's on. You're always kind of aware of what's going on no matter what happens. Now with the way we have with devices and things like that, you can be at a restaurant. I've gotten in trouble with my significant other for this many times of just kind of having the game on. Um, and you just have a feel for your team and who to trust, who not to trust. And I think my feel for this Red Sox team 
is the best it's been, you know, since probably that 2008 season. The last time I really felt like I knew the team inside out. I knew who to trust exactly, what pitches they could and couldn't hit, what pitchers they could and couldn't hit, what pitcher was going to come in and what guys were going to give them trouble. And I just felt that way this year. And the reason I mentioned that is I thought when they had the COVID outbreak at the end of, of August, it just seemed like, man, that was an awesome four month run. And now the wheels are coming off. This was a team that, you know, was a little smoke and mirrors. They didn't really do anything at the trade deadline other than get Kyle Schwarber. And, uh, and it was a fun run. I thoroughly enjoyed them. They really added to my 2021. Um, but it wasn't really going to go anywhere. September comes. They rally back a little bit. Then they get swept by the Yanks. Then it becomes a question of, can we at least hold on? Maybe get in the playing game. As we head to that last week, it becomes, well, shit. I don't want to lose to the Yankees in the playing game. That would be terrible. Can't lose to them. Now, now you're going, I have to sit at the poker table against my biggest rival, the team I hate the most, and they probably have slightly better cards than us. Is this even going to be worth it? This would be so catastrophic if we lose to this team we all hate. Get to the playing game, beat them. Now, every Hench came on that night on this podcast and we did the whole thing. Everything is everything else is gravy. Still never felt like a World Series was a possibility. Thought Tampa was going to beat us. Um, and you saw if you watched some of that Tampa-Boston series. Tampa, who didn't hit at all in that series and still lingered and stayed around because they do everything well. I think they had at least four or five diving catches just in the last two games. They're so hard. It's, you know, ironically, Halloween is another Halloween movie that's coming out today. Tampa's like Michael Myers. You just have to like cut their heads off. They do. They just keep coming back. They keep coming back. Every time you think they're dead, they're not. And even in that game four, you know, you're up five, nothing. Guess what? They're coming back. And the Red Sox beat them. And, you know, it's really weird sometimes with baseball where you kind of need five guys you can trust in the lineup. You need maybe two to three starters that you can at least 80% trust and then a couple relievers you can trust and you can kind of get through a playoff series even if you don't really trust the team. We've had better Red Sox teams, no question. But this team has a knack for, you know, the right guy coming up in the right spot, um, the right guy getting the right hit at the right time, the right reliever getting the right three outs at the right time. And they beat this Tampa team. And it was the first time I really allowed myself to think, holy shit, this team might actually make the World Series. And then you start thinking on the other end, wow, this would be crazy if they played Mookie in the World Series. And I've talked many times about how much I love Mookie. And, you know, I took the year off last year as a Red Sox fan. <laughs> I was so upset about the Mookie trade. I, I didn't quit the team. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a divorce. It was a separation. It was, a, I moved my stuff out of the house and got an apartment somewhere else and just wanted to get out of the marriage for a year. And this has gone, I, I've noticed with some of my friends, like I have my buddy, Jeff Gallo, who's best man at my wedding, diehard Minnesota Vikings fan. And they just hurt his feelings so many times that he doesn't watch them on Sundays anymore. He's too old. He's like, I just don't need it in my life. I'm, I'm happy. I have a healthy, healthy kids, healthy wife. I just don't need the Vikings to do this to me every year. And he's just kind of gravitated away from them. That's what happens. That's what life does sometimes. 
And I felt like I was hitting that point with the Red Sox last year where it was just like unbelievable run with this team. Um, so much of my life, so many of the little points of my life have been tied to this team that I can remember from 1978 when we lost the playoff game. My parents got divorced two months later, 1986, you know, that whole run with Clemens and we get to the, the make the world series against the Mets. It was the same year. Like I crashed my motor scooter. I almost died. And you go through all the marks of your life, almost through a baseball team. And that's why you know, there's nothing quite like baseball. I don't think there's any other sport that you can do that with where it's just kind of the background music of your life for six, seven months, some years. Um, and it got to the point last year, I was like, maybe that's it. I don't like the sport as much. The games are too long. Um, I don't like the owners of our team who don't seem to understand that you can't trade Mookie Betts and look your fans in the face with a straight face. You can't do something like that. And this might be it for me. And this was the year 2021 that they, I kind of got sucked back in and it was because I liked the team so much and, you know, you, baseball's either in your blood or you're not. And I think I realized at some point, um, you know, um, this is going to be in my life, my whole life, you know, this is it. You either love this sport or you don't. I love it for all its faults. I love it for um, the check swing. That's the terrible call that ends a game. I love it for Alex Verdugo, you know, the, who was ironically the guy in the Mookie Betts trade. And instinctively, it's hard not to compare them, you know, but Verdugo has been a huge part of this Red Sox team and, and really lovable and really valued. Um, and of course had a huge, couple huge hits in the, in the Rays series, but his energy and just, he gets it. He grew up watching the Red Sox and, you know, it's the kind of guy you want to root for. It's the kind of guy you want your kids to root for. So, um, just getting sucked back in and this whole ride of it has been really special. And, you know, it might be headed to us playing Mookie, who is certainly in the running for my favorite everyday Red Sox player ever. I think, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I it's Fred Lynn and Manny are still probably my top two. I think Mookie's third. Manny, I can't defend. I really can't, but I really genuinely love that guy. I, he brought me so much joy for nine years. I think, I think that's probably my top three. Going against him in a World Series would be disorienting, and I, I don't, I don't think I've had that experience in a sport before. You know, you think about like the icons that your team trades. Like the Bruins lost Bobby Orr when I was a kid, but he was done. His knees were shot. He went to the Blackhawks. Never came back to haunt us. Brady went to the Bucks. We've never, we played the game two weeks ago, but it never like a real game with real stakes. I can't remember somebody leaving the Celtics and going to another team that really mattered, like at the highest possible level. Um, this would, this would be a lot different. <laughs> now the Red Sox, the Dodgers are four wins away from Mookie playing the Red Sox. And uh, it's going to be a tough one. It really is. It's going to be a tough one for me. It's going to be the instinctively tough to root against Mookie Betts, but hopefully I can get there. Playing the Astros and the ALCS and uh, obviously hate their guts. I mean, other than the Yankees, probably my least favorite baseball team. So it will be a delight to root against them to get the cheater stuff going. Now this is where the, you know, you can be a dick and be like, oh, well, Cora was there, the Astros. I have no defense. All I can tell you is this, Alex Cora, who looks like Kendall Roy, um, 
is the best manager we've ever had. I think he's a genuine guy. If you saw the clips of him um, crying after they beat the Rays, hugging his daughter, talking about how painful the whole thing was being suspended for a year, how embarrassing that was for him and his family and how hard it was to talk to his daughters about it, which is something I identify. Like your worst nightmare is a parent, I think, especially as you get older, is you have to explain something to your kid that you, you know, you're completely embarrassed by. Um, and he obviously went through that and you could see he was hugging his daughter. There was this clip there hugging and crying for like 20 seconds. And it was like, this was a really painful event that I'm sure he has a lot of remorse for. So I, I don't think we'll ever know totally what his role was with that Astros thing, but does he seem remorseful? Yeah. Um, does that mean I'm not going <laughs> to enjoy it every time the Fedway fans chant ch cheater at Altuve and Correa and all that stuff? Like, yeah, I'm going to love it. I think it's a great series. The Astros are loaded, but the guy that always killed the Red Sox was Springer. Well, Altuve killed, Altuve killed them too. And I guess so did Correa. But Springer was the one I was always the most afraid of on the Astros. He's in Toronto now, so that's at least good. But uh, I think Houston has slightly more talent, but I just think the Red Sox are better equipped for a series like this. I trust I trust our guys in this series. The Dodgers are the team that, from a talent standpoint, I'd be worried about. So what would a Dodgers-Red Sox World Series be on FanDuel if you bet it? What would the odds be? I'm going to look that up. Playoff series. Well, you could do. Well, yeah. Dodgers minus 225. Red Sox plus 128. And the combo of that, yeah, probably about maybe like three to one, something like that. They won't let me do the parlay. I bet they have it tomorrow. Dodgers, Red Sox, the rematch 2018 could happen. Anyway, 2021, one of the weirdest years, uh, probably second only to 2016 to 2020 in this century. But um, one of the cool things for me was it, it definitely lit my fire again on the baseball side. And I think it's more of a local sport than ever. I think people care about their own team and they care about the playoffs and that's it. And that's a hard thing to navigate from who you talk to, who you talk to the sport about. Um, like this Giants and the Giants won 107 games. I don't think I watched 20 innings of them until the playoffs. Um, and you, you know, you watch the playoffs like, wow, Evan Longoria, he's still playing? <laughs> you have those things. Because it's like, I'm in the American League. I don't know what's going on with the National League except the occasional Dodger games I watch because of Buki. But, um, but it's all headed toward, um, I think, a really great Final Four. Braves-Dodgers, Astros-Red Sox. Good times. Unbelievable sporting stretch right now. Basketball starting next week. Football in full swing. We don't have a best football team yet. Um, and a lot of drama in football already, you know. What's, is something wrong with Mahomes? Is it fair to ask that question yet? Is Buffalo the best team? When's Wilson coming back? Are the Cardinals for real? We're going to talk about all that in one second with uh, Peter Schrager when we do Million Dollar Picks. Go Red Sox. Thanks for rekindling my baseball fire. Congrats to the Dodger fans. Sorry, Giants fans. Tough one. Be back in uh, one second. All right, taping this uh, late morning Pacific time on Thursday. So if anything happens in football over the next eight hours, don't blame us. Peter Schrager is here as he is every week. We do million-dollar picks. We talk football. 
We had a decent week last week. We made uh, almost $500,000, four sixty eight to be exact. We're up over a million dollars for the year. Yeah. 1.043 million. We did it. It took five weeks. Our expectations for ourselves are so high. We thought we'd be up 3 million by now, but what, whatever, we're up. That's all that matters. Let's talk about John Gruden first. I'm actually intrigued by Vegas this week. They are getting three and a half points in Denver. The reaction from everybody would be, oh, man, that team's a mess. They just had all the stuff. They're going to... I don't necessarily believe that with sports, especially if uh, if the team didn't have a tight relationship with the coach. But going backwards, the Gruden thing, biggest NFL story in the last couple of years for you? Yes, yes. Biggest story in the last couple of years, and it's still unfolding. And I think the one thing that is is most interesting to me, other than the horrific stuff that was in the emails in the last 48 hours of him, you know, his career now has this on it. Um, who, who leaked this? Mm. Who leaked this? Because the, everyone, the investigative side of it would say, okay, now go figure out what Washington has on theirs. But the real investigative part of this might be who had the motive to leak this part of it? Because this report was not about Gruden and it could, you know, you start, is it the NFL? The NFL is going through an all time easy period. It's been smooth sailing for the last 24 months. They fought uh, to play games through COVID. It, it seems like uh, they, they were pretty on the forefront of the social justice movement. They were there, they were vocal. They supported a lot of different um, places. Like, and now this and this is the last, they don't want to write, the ratings are up 70% for the NFL. This is the last thing they want. So it's not from necessarily the league office or is it someone who is just so disturbed by the content of those emails that they were sitting at their law firm or sitting at the league office and was going through it and was like, you know what? Fuck this. I am not letting this go by without someone knowing that this was written and this is being sent around. But I think to me, from the investigative journalism side, and I know you can bring on Brian Curtis or the Dan Van Natta or Ben Smith at the New York Times, whoever wants to really get get into this stuff. It's it's not so much, well, let's find out what stuff Dan Snyder had. It's more who felt compelled enough to leak this to the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, because I don't think it's coming from Park Avenue. I don't think it's coming from the league office. I don't think this is anything that anything the league would ever want on their hands. Conspiracy Bill was on this right away. Could what do you not think? Uh, could not understand. Um, how this came out and anytime something like this happens, you have to wonder who had the motivation, right? Because this is Intel buried in a bunch of stuff that's supposed to be kept private. It comes out. So the immediate question is, well, somebody wanted this to come out. Why? I think, I think you, you have the favorite in this. The emails were disturbing enough to somebody that they were like, man, this guy's mm -hmm. awful. Like, I, I kind of want other people to know about this. So that's very possible. Um, it's also, Conspiracy Bill did wonder, like, did the Raiders look at this as a way to maybe get out of a gigantic financial commitment that they probably shouldn't have made? You know, and if the Raiders were aware of these emails, if somebody made them aware, would it behoove them when you're talking about the amount of money that's at stake where you're, where it's like two thirds of a, what was it? A hundred million dollar contract. Yeah. Yeah. And you could just kind of get out of that. Now, starting yesterday, there was some stuff about, well, wait a second. Is this a buyout? Did they do some sort of settlement? He resigned. Does that mean he gets money? And I think it's going to take a while to find out what happened. Like, did they pay him 20 million to go away? It's a tough one to pay somebody to go away 
when there's an email train like this, that's really rough. Even if it's from, you know, 10 years ago, it, it, I don't think it matters in this case. I think, I think the, the part that rubs a lot of, it rubs me wrong, I'll be honest, is that they got heads up on this stuff on Thursday. Gruden addresses the team on Friday, says, my door is open. If anyone wants to talk to me one-on-one, let's do it. Let's have a one-on-one conversation. If you want to talk openly here, he's got a lot of veterans in that, that room. He's got um, a lot of African-American players, a lot of African-American coaches in the front office. There's several different African-Americans. There's a homosexual player on the team. Like he said, if you have questions, he coached with the Raiders logo and everything on Sunday. And then yep. Monday, the next batch comes out. But the fact that he was out there So you on think Sunday, he might have known? You think he might have known there was more coming? I, I don't know. I mean, you got to think that if if you knew that first email was out there and they've gone through 650,000 emails of yours and you're prone to doing this over the history of seven years, would it have been in your best interest to maybe say, hey, for the better of the team, for the better of the league, I'm not going to coach on Sunday. I'm going to step away. And so I'm a distraction. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, Gruden's never going to necessarily have a career again. And he has plenty of money. He'll be fine. The, the part that that I think isn't going to be talked about a bunch that maybe not everyone has sympathetic eyes towards is that you know, he's got young coaches on there. They just moved to Vegas, bought homes, uh, have kids in school. And look, whether they are good or not, they're going to blow that building out at the end of the season, most likely. I'd say short of a miracle season where Rich Bisaccia, the new coach, you know, takes them to an AFC championship or game or something like that, they're going to say, okay, let's just start fresh with all new faces. And a lot of those coaches... You know, and the men in that and women in that building, they haven't done anything wrong. They just went to work every day for a team that was three and one going into this thing. So my heart goes out to everyone who has to deal with the fallout from what was really just some hideous, hideous language, ugly emails and all that. But also some of the people that are going to be caught in the shrapnel, if you will, like an assistant coach who might be in his 20s or 30s and is trying to get his footing in the NFL or her footing in the NFL. And a new staff is going to come in and it's not going to be because of the team being inferior on the field. It's just going to be because they have to rid, rid themselves of the stench of anything Gruden moving forward. You know, the emails coming out, you, it made me think of the Deflategate stuff with Brady in 2015 when, you know, they talked about how he destroyed his phone or whatever happened mm -hmm. because... And he wouldn't hand over his phone. He didn't want the league to have his emails. And I certainly don't think Brady had anything in his emails remotely like approaching what Gruden had. But you can understand why anyone would have a hesitation to have somebody go through all their emails, it, you know, and put it in the hands of the league. Where it's like, hey, we're just going to look at these. These aren't going anywhere. And then the stuff leaks out. The stuff's usually going to leak out. You're talking 650,000 emails. I think more stuff's going to come out. The, the, what the Washington football team did this week where all of a sudden the abrupt decision to uh, retire Sean Taylor's number, which was disgusting. I mean, they've run out of ways to be like, wow, you guys suck. Um, that one where you're just, it's so opportunistic. You retire a number, you figure that out a year in advance. Like the Celtics knew they were retiring Kevin Garnett's number 15 months ago. The, the email you know? for Michael Strahan being re uh, retired at Giant State or MetLife for November 28th came out in July. Yeah, yeah. You get There's heads up. You make it part of like why somebody would want to buy a ticket for a game. They do this five days before the game. And that makes me think like there's more stuff coming. And the 650,000 emails... Yeah, That's, and that goes, did you think about how many emails that is? Like, that and this was through, just Bruce Allen's account, or is it everybody's account? No, it's everyone. That goes through. They did a deep dive in a discovery phase in a, in a about team misconduct within the entire 
franchise. Now, look, they the, one of the theories, and I I've got to choose my words wisely because I I don't know exactly what in front of me what it is, but there is a situation in India, India, the country where there was a Dan Snyder's name was brought up on like a Reddit blog or some site in India and. Snyder wanted to sue for defamation, I believe, or wanted to at least look into a defamation. And as part of that, they uncovered some of these emails. And it's like, huh. like these these outside the box things and what you're thinking of and how this could all come about. And then, you know, you bring in any email that's been sent from that that you know Redskins.com account is being investigated. I mean, the Schefter stuff comes out and everyone's journalistically appalled. I mean, that's from a 2011. Not about the 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 team misconduct, not about the CBA, and, and yeah. that stuff gets leaked. And you know, it's um, that's another one. How does that one get leaked? Why, like that? That also seems targeted in some way, and it does feel like as this goes along, it's gonna people are gonna be getting clipped left and right with right it, one it email does. or a thread or whatever. It's just I don't know where this ends, and I don't know who's doing it. And it's not like Adele is gonna lay the smack down and be like, wait a second. This is, you know, this is, he hasn't really, has he said anything? He has. I, I don't think he's had a public comment yet. And How he does he was, not have a public comment on this? He was the subject of some really ugly stuff from Gruden. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Roger Goodell grew up with, uh, in a, with, with a homosexual brother and yeah. they were, you know, using that word and that language um, in regards to that. And then you add in, with what the league is trying to be. Like it was so wild for Schefter to be at their halftime of Monday night football, talking with Booger and Susie Colber and saying, you know, this language is unacceptable. And then they go to commercial and on ESPN, there's a, you know, a rainbow NFL shield. And it says there's a commercial that's like, you know, football is lesbian. Football is this football is that football is everyone. And it's like, I don't know if it's generational. I don't know if it's Gruden specifically, but like the NFL could not want to go in a more different direction than what yeah. those emails uncovered. And I thought it was hideous and disgusting. Well, and I, the, the Morris Smith thing was gross. That was ludicrous where it's like, no, no, that's what I'd say. If I think somebody's lying, it's like, what, what, what rationalization is this? How long did it, how many people who did you brainstorm with for how many hours before you came up with this one? No, no, it's lips. That's what I say when somebody's lying. Like, what? And I, I agree with you. I, I The more I look at it and think about it, I was like in such a Red Sox football, basketball yeah. starting. Like, I didn't really, it was like, oh man, Gruden. I wonder if this is, I wonder if there's more emails. But I didn't really think about it. I'm kind of amazed he coached last week. Mm -hmm. I think it would have made the most sense to be like, hey, I'm going to step aside this week. I think this is, you know, this is really unfortunate that that came out. It's not what I meant. Um, I'm going to step aside this week. I don't want to be a distraction, distraction the team. And, you know, I want to talk to so-and-so and so-and-so. And, -so and I want to talk to some black community leaders in Oakland sure. and all these different things. And I want to put some time in, try to make this right. And I'll come back probably next week or the week after. I don't know. But he I was kind of defiant. He was. And he said, I don't have a racist blade in my body. It was what the, the quote was. And um, again, I, a lot of people showed grace. Like I thought it was very interesting that Tim Brown came out in support and Charles Woodson didn't support those emails. But Tim Brown, uh, Charles Woodson on Fox NFL kickoff said, hey, in my four years with him, he never showed that side of him. How about Dungy, Dungy and Tariko? Dungy, Tariko, these guys who put their names on it and they're like, that's not the side we saw. And that was that. And then Monday morning, it's like after we went out publicly and 
put ourselves out there, you know, and, and took this, like, it's just for well, the guy coach Sunday. The guy was catnip at ESPN to all the ESPN executives. So I used to call the, the blue shirts and khaki police. These they guys that would walk around, these just, middle-aged white guys, all wearing the blue shirts with khakis. And he just had like this really galvanizing testosterone effect by all count. They love being around it. He remembered everyone's names, hard handshakes, mm -hmm. football stories and holding court. And, you know, they would have these Monday night football games. They just kept giving him more money. I never thought he was that good on TV. I really didn't. I, I, I never felt like anybody was watching Monday night football because John Gruden was announcing. Now when he left, they had a lot of trouble sure. trying to figure out an announcing team. I get it. But I never felt like he was a draw. It wasn't like a Romo type thing to me where I felt like he was like adding to the game. He was very self parody ish, but he had like a weird hold over the ESPN people. And they all like, you know, the people running in time, like wild hack, all those people, they were, they were just like enchanted by him. And it was really weird. So I, I think that was part of the fallout from this past week or so is I think a lot of people got caught up in the cult of Gruden. Yeah. That well, it's a real thing. Him. Yeah. It's a real thing. And it's like, you know, you see the Hooters commercials and you see all that stuff and you're like, it's a, you think it's a caricature. And then you see those emails. You're like, oh my God. So I, I think a lot of people are just, I think the word that so many people used and it's just like such great disappointment, like such great disappointment because here was this character in our football life. And this is 2021. This isn't Jimmy the Greek in the 1980s. This is 2021. And I know it's going through emails from 10 years ago and who knows what you can find going through anyone's emails. Um, but I don't think everybody does have that stuff in their emails. I would hope not. Yeah. And then you throw in the coach piece. I mean, I thought what Brandon Staley said yesterday was really great. I know Mina Kimes retweeted it. So it was, mm -hmm. that was how I saw it. Um, where he talked about the responsibilities of being a coach and a leader and the trust that you have to build with the people that work for you and how easy that trust is that when it can fall apart. And I was like, it was just really good. And it made me, you know, I think Brandon Staley, every year we have kind of the breakout coach. Yeah. That is just, and you never totally know who it is. You can suspect, we talked about it at the start of the year, who's going to mm -hmm. be the guy this year. Every year there's somebody. Yeah, it was McVay. Clearly was seems like, yeah. yeah, clearly seems like it's Staley. Everything he's done with that Chargers team, not to detour, but like, how aggressive he is with Herbert, how he realizes, like, I have this special guy. If I can have four downs to get 10 yards, I'm using him. Mm -hmm. This guy's so good, he's going to get it. Um, some of the stuff he's done, which I haven't always agreed with around the goal line, but he's just super aggressive. He's trying to build a culture there. And you think, like, that's what a coach is supposed to do. I think that's what Vegas thought they were getting. And what they end up getting is a complete shitstorm. I hope it, I, I hope that's the... And I think the NFL is moving in that direction. And this generation of coaches, I feel like there's a lot of vulnerability. There's a lot of self-awareness. There's not a lot of this, you know, I'm the king of the castle and everyone report. Like Brandon beat cancer at the age of 24 and was out of work for years as a coach and like worked his way up and obviously gets this great opportunity and he's going to make the most of it and is living every day as almost house money. And that's how he looks at it. Uh, you look at some of these other young coaches and Cliff Kingsbury got parodied a bunch. And I know people might say, oh, Cliff is soft. He's so what does that even mean? He's soft. Cliff saw this team and said, hey, it's a different generation of players. Yes, I'm going to let them be on their cell phone if they want to be. And yes, yep. I'm going to let DeAndre Hopkins miss a day of practice if he wants to. He's DeAndre Hopkins. And like, I think there's an old school football mentality of let's have two a days and let's tackle three days, uh, three hours in uh, summer heat. And let's, and then there's this new breed of coaches with Brandon Staley, who is not a, they, these guys aren't averse to 
contact or averse to adversity or anything like that. But it's also, these are human beings that we're dealing with uh, on these teams and these players. They're not acting like Logan Roy. I, they're not acting like yelling, bore on the floor. There's no bore on the floor. To jump on their guy. Yeah, there's no bore on the floor with the new wave of coaches. Yeah, I, I so turning it to uh, million dollar picks, I don't think this Gruden story is done. I'm sure we're going to be talking about it next week. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of new revelations and a conspiracy bill is really interested to see as, as you led with, why did this come out? Who had the most to gain? They will probably have answers at some point with Vegas though. The tendency with this stuff, especially with gambling is, Oh, too big there. That team's going to be a mess. Mm-hmm. I disagree. I kind of like them plus three and a half. I don't think the Broncos, you know, you look at the Broncos, they beat nobody. Mm-hmm. They beat the two New York teams in Jacksonville. They're 28.6% on third down. They've lost a bunch of guys. And you think like, well, the defense, Von Miller, Bradley Chubb. Well, Chubb's out. Von Miller is not Von Miller anymore. And, um, you know, if all of this stuff hadn't happened, I think this line could even be like Raiders pick them, something like that. Raiders were 3-0, had these two crazy games in the span of six days, had this crazy thing happen with their coach. Now everybody's like, they suck. Um, I like them plus three and a half. And I think we have to look at it as one of our picks, like a little post John Gruden, uh, win, win it for us instead of, yeah. uh, win it for somebody else. Well, I'll tell you this. And I know I haven't always been his biggest supporter in the media and I haven't always rallied the, the I've been told that Wednesday when they got to the building, Derek Carr was freaking amazing as mm. far as let me lead you, let us go through this. And he's leading with a different tone than maybe we might, where his is like, we could still love the man, John Gruden, but we can hate the sin. You know, we could hate what he did. Like, let's let's move on. Let's let's have grace in our hearts, but let's also do this now for us. And their new coach, this Rich Bisacci, who's been in the league for a long time, is one of those special teams coaches that is the rah-rah guy. He's the let's go, let's win one for them, let's let's give it our all, and is a beloved guy around the league. Now he's been with Gruden for years, and you can say, well, the stench of Gruden is still there. I don't see it that way. I think these guys are all professionals. And for a lot of these coaches, this is their coaching professional lives now because if they're Gruden guys, and that's Greg Olson, the offensive coordinator, who long has been a Gruden guy, that is uh, some of the the Rod Marinellis, the John Mortons, like a lot of people on that staff are Gruden guys. Um, if the Raiders are looking to start a new next year and say, let's just blow the whole, you can't do that if this staff comes together and coaches a bunch of wins together and they make the playoffs and they have a good season. Then you go to the players. I, I appreciate the whole, oh, shucks, you know, our coach did, did this and our season's done. Not when you're three and two and you're a player trying to play for your life uh, professionally. I think I spoke to D'Angelo Hall for a while about it. He's been hosting Good Morning Football this week and he played on some Washington teams that would have crazy things happen week to week. And he's like, I know the media wants to say that like it gets becomes this distraction that we, he's like, honestly, a lot of us like, We've got kids at home. We've got families. And the way you keep your job in the NFL is play good football, put on good football tape and win. And maybe it's not with the Raiders, but at the very least, we're going to go out there and do our thing. I think Carr knows what time it is. This is a chance for him to really make his impact with with the Las Vegas Raiders. It's no longer Gruden's team. It's now Derek Carr's team. I would not bet against the Raiders this weekend. I think they might have something in store for the rest of the league. It's now Derek Carr's team. You just made me more nervous, not less nervous. <laughs> Didn't really appreciate that. I remember, I feel like this can go one of two ways. Either it galvanizes the team or it blows the team up. And there's kind of no in between. I remember. Give me a I couple was, examples because it goes well, both I, ways. This is a good one. 
just for me personally, it would suck for me, but 1978, probably the best Pats team we had out of that whole Steve Grogan run of my childhood and the team that was considered to be one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. And Chuck Fairbanks, the coach, it comes out that he's leaving for University of Colorado um, right near the end of the season. And I think they, God, it was so long ago. It was over 40 years ago. He, I think he ends up leaving and they had like the interim coach coach to play. And we got killed by the Oilers. The game that my dad took me to Earl Campbell destroyed us. Um, <laughs> but it, it really did kill the season. It was an immediate, wow, this killed our season. The, the players were betrayed. They felt like they had a chance to win the Super Bowl. This guy's like, I'll see you later. I'm getting this college yeah. coaching. Yeah. If this happened now, everyone would have a heart attack. But I think that's an example of it going the other way. But, you know, um, we'll see what happens. I love the Raiders. When we come back, we're going to uh, run through quickly our slate of teams that we like, and then we'll make our million-dollar picks. Okay, coming back. We always like to start with a parlay or a tease at the top. We've had a lot of success this year with this. Yeah. I think uh, I think we've only gotten hit. I think we're four and one on these bigger bets. Um, the one that we lost on was the Rams, the Rams Chiefs tease in Week Four when the Cardinals beat the Rams. Yes, which was, was a part. Which a par, I can't remember was part of the tease, but for the most part, we fit these. There's two that jump out to me. I think the Cowboys Patriots are a stay away, and in general, we should mention. This is this might be a let's be careful out there, Michael Conrad Memorial Week this week, because <laughs> if you look at the amount of money being bet, it's like everybody's in the Cowboys. Everybody's on the Chiefs. Um, everybody's on uh, the uh, the Rams. the Rams and the Chargers, not the Rams as much because I think at the line so high. Yeah, everyone's on the Chargers. So is that an indication that we zig when everyone zags if we scale it back a little bit this week? It it's a thing that makes me really nervous. Like I like the Chargers. I haven't seen anyone pick the Ravens. They're banged up now. Um, the Chargers are kind of a quote unquote hot team. It's plus three. It's Baltimore. <laughs> I feel like it's a stay away. Cowboys, Pats, that line, what is it? Like three and a half right now? Three and that, a half right now. And that like the Pats like said this earlier in the week on the pod. Can't make big plays. Can't block. Can't get stops on defense. Fumble on the goal line. Turn the ball over, over and over again. Lose the turnover advantage every week. Dallas on the flip side, they make big plays. They're like plus eight or plus nine in turnovers at this point. Lead the league in takeaways. Yeah. Um, all signs point to a Cowboys cover, and yet this is like the this is where you get scared of Belichick. It's like what happened with the Bucks two weeks ago. Everybody loved the Bucks. Guess who covered the Pats? So I think that's a stay away. I am not staying away from a Chiefs, Rams, tease or parley. The Chiefs are minus six and a half uh, at Washington, who has now just completely offended the karma gods with the Sean Taylor thing. Sean Taylor, one of the most beloved Washington football players the last 25 years. Um, somebody, my son, who, you know, is really into football right Watching now. Watching YouTube. That's his safety that he's like, yeah. they, well, Dad, was this the greatest safety ever? I'm like, well, he died pretty early. Yeah, yeah it could have happened, but. Um, just for the listeners, I mean, really the story is that it, three days in advance, they announced they're retiring Sean Taylor's Jersey and it's embarrassing. Jason Wright, the president came out today on Twitter and was like, no, we, Bobby Mitchell and Sean Taylor were going to get their jerseys retired this season. We, 
we meant we meant to do it and we apologize for doing it on such short notice but this is just what we're doing and like it my initial reaction was that's amazing they're retiring sean taylor i didn't go to the negatives and then i saw twitter and i saw some texts in my phone being like just how shameful is this that they're doing this to cover up the the headlines from what's going on yeah. with the gruden stuff and i'm like man i hope that's not the reason you know and it, it's just got an icky feeling to it dan snyder limp handshake guy is that right i've never met, met him once person. okay yeah right. dead fish handshake always a red flag uh <laughs> chiefs minus six and a half they're two and three their defense is an absolute train wreck I'm not ready to have the what's wrong with Mahomes conversation. If you look at their offense, they're first in DVOA. They're first in first downs. They've scored a ton of points. He's made some bad throws. He doesn't look like he's at the peak of his powers, but this happens in sports sometimes. I'm not ready to be like, what's wrong with Mahomes? Yeah, it's not Mahomes. And I know he's thrown a bunch of interceptions and you look at those interceptions, it's, you know, Tyreek Hill drops one off his hands and sometimes they're forcing it. Last week was a was a scary game though if you're a Chiefs fan because yep. there was a fourth and twenty four and the, you know it's it's the Bills punting and the Chiefs go off sides and you're like what are you going off sides on a fourth and twenty four for and then you have this long rain delay which in any other situation you'd say all right you know what we got beat up in the first half but let's go in this rain delay we're home we're in our yep. confines like let's put on our music they're sitting in an ice cold away visitors thing hour long. And the Bills came out and beat him up and down the field. So they almost beat him in two games, it felt like, the first half and the second half. Uh, and the defense can't stop anything. That said, I, I could tell you, I think Washington's having trouble selling tickets this year. I think last last week against the Saints, when the Saints are not one of these fan bases that can, it's not the not the Steelers or the Packers or the Cowboys that just you know clean out arenas, but I think there was like 40,000 available tickets or something going into that game. And a lot of Saints fans showed up and there was Houdat chants going on and this Chiefs fan it's base. It's rough. It's like the Chargers, but worse. It kind of is. And this Chiefs fan base does travel. Yeah. And I think they are looking for a get right game. You know, I, I had a very good uh, offensive minded coach tell me this this week because I was like, what, what's going on with Washington's defense? And we've mentioned that, you know, cousin Sal hit it all offseason. Hey, maybe they're a little overrated about the quarterbacks are playing. It might be this too. You can scheme up. All right, Chase Young is their great defensive end. We can scheme away. We could throw it away from him. We could trip block. We do a bunch of things. Like, there's a way to get by a defensive line. It's when your defensive line is complemented by good linebackers and good defensive backs. The Washington linebackers have not done anything, and their defensive backs are are terrible. So you see that Jameis Winston Hail Mary. I mean, that is like one-on-one type stuff. Bang that down. Do something. Try to get in the way to Marquez Callaway. They're not doing anything. They can't stop anyone. So you come in with this inferior offense is what they have. And then you have this defense that is now revealing How about itself. This? What, do we, what do you got? 28th in DVOA on defense. Because right? DVOA now, we've had five games. There's enough of a sample size to at least learn a couple things. Now, the Chiefs are 32nd. Sure, but this isn't, they're not going up against Buffalo. I'd rather you know? have the Chiefs offense against crap defense than the Washington offense against crap I also, defense. I, you know, Mahomes, I saw this stat and I tweeted it out. I think he's got 15 passing touchdowns, which leads the league. He's the first quarterback in NFL history to lead the league in touchdown passes five weeks through the season and having a losing record. Just tells you how how crazy this team has been and how bad on defense it's been. But I don't see Washington, like I did with Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago, we took the Chiefs and we were safe. I don't see Washington being able to keep up with the Chiefs. I think they win. I wouldn't say they're going to win by 10, but I think they win this game. It's not a must win like it would be in week 16, something like that. 
but it's kind of a must win because feels like they need it. Two and four. Yeah. Now you're now you're messing around because I do think it's going to probably take ten wins in the AFC. Let me ask you. We know up, the though. Chargers are good. Chargers, but let me put this one to you: if they were to get in the playoffs and say they go nine and nine and whatever, eight, nine and eight, or ten and six, seven and, seed, and they're this, are you picking any team against them? Like, are you are you worried about the Chiefs going? Are teams Buffalo? tanking to not get the two seed to Don't go laugh. against the seven like, seed? Yeah. Like if they have the seven or the six seed and they're, you know, okay, Chiefs at Cleveland straight up. I don't care if they have seven. Like, are you really taking Cleveland? I don't know. That's the thing. They're still a scary ass team. And I will say teams. this as somebody who's been gambling for a long time now, since uh, 1990 or 91, I can't remember. And when I was in college, the Patriots were terrible again and gambling became my friend. <laughs> the most dangerous team is the team. Kyle, you might have to turn the overhead camera <laughs> on for this one. <laughs> Bring them the in. The most dangerous team. Life lessons. The most dangerous team to gamble on is the past performance team. I know. That you're waiting. No, no. It's the on-off switch team. And you're judging them by things that happened last year, two years ago, and three years ago. And this legacy of what they did. We saw this with the Patriots a couple of years ago, the last Brady year. Say, so, nah, it's Brady and Belichick. They'll be fine. What, what happened? They lose to the Titans in a playoff game. They lose yeah. to Miami in week 17. Yeah, crazy. And it's game. like... That's when you get killed. That's when you get killed in boxing and UFC too. It's like, no, no, sure. this guy's, and then all of a sudden he's getting knocked out three out of four times. Well, I think that I look I, at that's them. what worries me a little bit with the Chiefs, but Mahomes is so young. It's, you know, know, it doesn't totally make sense. I look at them more as like an NBA team and they fuck around in the middle of like, you know, the January yeah. road trip and like, all right, so the LeBron Heat might lose a couple games here and there, but when they need to turn it on, they can. I feel like this is one of those games they need to turn it on. Well, we we just need them to win in what we're doing because the other team we're going to put them with is the Rams. Rams right now is minus nine and a half, which is beautiful. We got it. I didn't want it to go to 10 because that would have been problematic for us. <laughs> we can do a seven point tease. Minus 130, have to lay a little bit. So it's basically like 130 to win 100. Okay. But it's worth it because we get to take the Rams down to two and a half against the zombie Giants. Yeah. Who have nobody. It's it's the Wayne Gallman and Mike Lennon show with no receivers. <laughs> Even Tony, who looked great. Tony was like, every Giants fan's like, oh my God, this Tony trade that we thought we'd get walked away from this QB. This is amazing. Now it looks like he's not going to play. And the Rams need the game because they sucked last week. So it's yeah. a perfect storm. You know why I love you? Because I'm not trying to embarrass you. You were talking to Sal about Wayne Gallman. I think he's on the Falcons. I don't even think he's on the Giants anymore. I think it's who's Booker. The guy, who's their running back? <laughs> Booker? Booker. But it's like, it might as well be Wayne Booker's Gallman. Booker's the same thing. <laughs> Gallman was on the Giants. I'm just old. Last year. But no, yeah. I loved it. Glennon Booker. True. That's even worse. It's like Glennon Booker and like Tony. Have you watched Tony at all this season? <laughs> this is a, he is, he's electric. He's incredible. But he also punches guys yeah, in he's the amazing. face. But that's why he dropped to the 20th pick, right? He yes. was like, hey, this guy's really talented he's a handful he he got he tweaked his ankle after an incredible like toe drag swag sideline catch and then he's going nuts and he just headbutts jabril peppers on the sideline and everyone's like what <laughs> like, he's he's the biggest roller coaster ever uh the giants played the rams last year and the rams might have taken the foot off the pedal because the giants were terrible last year and the giants gave them all they can handle the rams had their kind of like fall asleep at the wheel game against the Giants last year. I don't think it's going to happen again. They're traveling. Next week, Stafford plays the Lions, but it's not mm. in Detroit. 
it's in Los Angeles, which is a little different. It's not like the pressure of like going back into that building and having to deal. We with don't that need to thing. spend time on this one. It's, it's it's giants. Chiefs Rams, super easy. Let's go. I feel bad for the Giants because there were signs of friskiness with them. They are. I felt like there was something going on with their offense and Barkley was starting to look like Barkley again. And Danny Dimes, as much of a roller coaster as he is, was actually making a couple things happen. He was playing They had multiple guys going deep. I kind of enjoyed watching them, which is very atypical of Giants. As of right now, we're doing this middle of the day. There's still a chance that Daniel Jones plays. Like, they're not ruling him out just yet. But even if he does play on that field, I I think the Rams just come in there and take care of business. What are we doing with concussions at that point? I know. I know. Daniel, it's been a week. You're fine. Even though you stumbled like a drunk person leaving a bar at three in the morning just a week ago. You're fine now. Your brain's totally recovered. Uh, (laughs) Chiefs, Rams, mark that one down. Feel good with that. Straight up. We both like the Browns minus three against the Cardinals. Little I comeback do. game for the Browns. Cardinals would go six and zero if they won this. Cardinals are at the point now. I, I've seen a lot of the Cardinals this year. Enough of the Cardinals that Max Williams goes out for the year. Max with two X's, and it's Love like, that. oh, that guy's good. Like he, he yeah. was actually like weirdly valuable for them. But um, th- one of these weeks they're not going to have it. I don't know what it is. Kyler was doing some weird thing with his shoulder, shoulder. last week. They're keeping that one quiet. Um, this has the makings of Browns get the lead. Kyler does throws one pick as he's scrambling around and then the Browns are fine. Would be I like my the guess. Browns in this one too. I also think that, uh, as much as they won the game and their defense stepped up and stopped the 49ers on five different fourth down attempts, uh, the 49ers defensive line had its way with the air, with the Arizona offensive line. I think Arizona's offensive line might be a little overrated right now. And I think Clowney and those guys are not Clowney. I'm sorry. Garrett and those guys might have their way with yeah, that Clowney's too. already hurt that yeah. he didn't make it to Halloween. <laughs> you and you and Sal were talking, or was it you and Ryan or, or house? We were talking about the NBA player. You mentioned Maver- uh, Pete Maravich and, yeah. and Ben Simmons, the guys that really make very little like big picture impact. What we fascinate. That's your Davian Clowney in the NFL. Every off season, it's like, where's Clowney going to go? And then it's, we're not talking That's about That's so funny. You say that you're right. He is the, if people missed it, we were talking about, what player has gotten way too much attention and conversation for what the actual results were like impact versus actual hype. And the conclusion we made was Stefan Marbury got the most conversation hype versus what the actual results were. Clowney's a great one. E- even last year, it's like, every where's year. Clowney going to go? It's like, what kind of hurt every year? Who cares where he goes? Uh, all right. We both like the Browns. I, uh, with the cards, there is I one like also watching cool part- them. Let me give you a little cool thing with the with the Browns here. So Baker and Cliff do not have a great relationship. I think right. it's, it's fine now, but like Cliff basically was like, we're good without you, Baker. And Baker transferred to Oklahoma from Texas mm. Tech. Now, Cliff will downplay it and say, we're good, we're fine. But I don't Baker think Baker revenge got, game. Yeah, I don't think Baker's looking to lose to Cliff Kingsbury in a game. That's all I'll say. Hmm. Both like the Browns. I, I continue to mourn not having Chubb and Hunt on my fantasy teams. It's the best. <laughs> you start them together. They each get 20 points. I really miss it. I miss those guys. Raiders plus three and a half against the Broncos we mentioned. I, I'm not I'm not 100% on this one, but I think we should talk about it. Bears plus four and a half against the Packers. I like the way the Bears defense looks. I know yes. Fields is hurt. I liked who's the third string running back who looked Khalil. good last week. Yeah, Khalil he's on Herbert. one of my fantasy teams. I don't even, even remember you, his you, name. I have, you picked up Khalil Herbert? I did. 
Great story. He's a uh, zero-star high school recruit, goes to <laughs> Kansas, does nothing for three years at Kansas, enters the the transfer portal. Everyone's like, what? Where are you going? Goes to Virginia Tech, puts up 1,700 yards, gets drafted, and now is starting for the Bears. <laughs> there you go. And and he was good. He was shifty. Yeah. I liked him. Um, Bears defense against Rodgers. There's a real history here. And sometimes mm-hmm. teams just, I watch it with Brady. It wouldn't even matter who was on the Dolphins. Something about the Dolphins, every once in a while, they would just get him, but they were always frisky and they were always kind of, you know, and he had that thing with the Giants too. Um, Bears Packers, four and a half. I haven't like loved what I've seen with the Packers have done. The Bengals have a pretty good defense. Mm-hmm. I thought they did a nice job against the Packers last week. Aaron Jones is a little banged up. Supposedly he's going to play, but who knows? And I do think the Bears can hang around. My question is, is this an underdog parlay where we throw it in at plus 180 or do we just grab the points or do we stay away? Those are our three options. Rodgers has such a dominance over this team, especially in Soldier Field over his career. It's hard for me to think that this is the year the Bears are going to get him with a rookie quarterback who might be injured, a third string running back and whatever they've got going on. And I think, you know, Kyle Brandt hit me a look today and we were talking. He's like, the Bears are three and two. I'm like, I know it's so weird that this team is three and two right now, but that's how they've been winning. They've been getting by and they've been finding contributions for people. Sometimes they've taken it to Rodgers, though. They I mean, they've played him enough times where there's been games where it's like, oh, it's one of these games. Yes. And then and other said, times he's up 38 to 10 against them. He said today, he said that he thinks Peanut Tillman, uh, Peanut Tillman, Brian Urlacher, Lance Briggs all should go to the Hall of Fame. That's how good they are. And like Urlacher's in, of course, but it's he respects that defense. He respects that place. But, you know, Randall Cobb, the note I got on him today is Randall Cobb, I think, is 13 and two all time against the Bears. Like, yeah, let's own, take him out. I'm going to take him out. I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't pick against okay. them. OK, <laughs> That's why we uh, talked this out. Well, I, I I didn't love it. And I'm glad we went there. But I don't know if you're talking me out of this one. Lions plus three and a half against the Bengals. <laughs> let's go make your case. Um, I The Bengals thing, I feel like, is very smoke and mirrorsy. OK. Their defense, frisky. You can totally talk me out of this one too. Defense, frisky, no question. The chase thing is real. Yep. He makes good. a play a quarter <laughs> that is just like a crazy athlete play. He has a knack of getting open. Burrow is taking a shitload of punishment. I mean, he, he can't, he couldn't use his voice this week in practice. Lacerated throat or throat contusion, I believe. <laughs> throat contusion. They can't really block for him and they can't really run the ball. And we're, whatever you feel about this Lions team, and even if you look at the advanced metrics for them, it's not great. They're 25th in offense, 29th in defense and DVOA. But they're like, they're kind of tough. They're resilient. They don't go away. And they, you know, they, they're two plays away from being two and three. They're always kind of hanging around. And I think people would just look at this game and go, oh yeah, Bengals, mark it down. Well, why hasn't the line really moved? Why has it stayed at three and a half? How many get? How many chances do the Lions have to win a game? Is this the game you get fired up for? Does Dan Campbell spend the whole week going, we can hit the shit out of mm-hmm. Joe Burrow. We're going to hit that guy. You hit that fucking guy. And it just gets everybody fired like up. Like and then they do the kind of like Jared Goff makes two plays and all of a sudden it's 14 to 10 late. Could you see it? Yeah, I could see it. Look, the coach cried in his post-game press conference and the conversation Monday was like, all right, 
we know he loves this team and loves this, but like, can you really cry in week five? And then the answer is yes. Like this guy is just pure emotion. And those guys are buying in the fact they're in these games, the talent deficiency for the lions against a lot of these teams is off the charts. Like there's no reason the pat, the, the Vikings at home should have to escape that game the way they did. The Vikings should blow yeah. out that line. So if you look at the rosters, the same can be said for the Ravens and yet they fight. And especially in that building at Ford field, I, I am with you. Let's go with the Lions. I think coming off that game, off that loss, we'll learn a lot about these guys. But Cincinnati, you can get to Joe Burrow and this Detroit team. They'll play for that coach. I we think should mention like a win. it's in Detroit. Yeah. I think their crowd, I think that Detroit fans like this team. I oh, think they they're actually team. like weirdly attached to it. Yeah, they support the coach. I think they're kind of into this. And I guess should the Bengals be three and a half point favorites over anybody right now when Burrow's already banged up and they can't block. They also and they just played, played overtime last week. You nailed it. Two overtime games. I spoke to I spoke to Randall Cobb and we talked and he was like, I was, I was exhausted after that game. It takes like days yeah. to get over that. And that's from the winning side. Now imagine losing that game. I, the Bengals, they could come in here and it could be a little bit of a slow, slow start for them. Now the Lions... Uh, that loss they had last week, I, I know that people see the score and they're like, wow, they lost at the last second. That's heartbreaking. The coach cried. You and I watched that game. They had no business even being in that game. They were up they were yeah. down 16 to six with three minutes left. Vikings miss a field goal. But that's Alexander, the thing. There's a resiliency with them. I know. That's the, I like it. Like they yeah. didn't go away. They didn't just fall apart. So even if they're they down, if they're down 10 with five minutes left, I feel like they get a cheap touchdown. All right, we're going to mark it. them down. Let's go. We're going to take a break. When we come back, one of the best questions I've ever asked you since we okay. started doing this, are we really going to bet on Geno Smith? <laughs> That's next. All right, coming back. There's one more straight up game. Seahawks plus five and a half against the Steelers. Now, I remember, and I remember writing about this way back when. I think I was the first person who really wrote about this, about how much the line shifts when a quarterback moves and I had me and Chad Millman, we actually went to a sports book and got them to give us like what it would be for each, each That's QB cool. if they left. Yeah. And it was like nine, 10 points was the most really for, for what it would be. So this now you page, have this page two, you wrote this article. I love yeah, that. Way back when, way back it. when it's in there somewhere. Um, so now you have the Seahawks Steelers game, which is in Pittsburgh. You fi and granted, the Steelers aren't any great shakes, but you figure if, if Wilson's playing, this line would be like, I think Steelers two and a half, Steelers by two, something like maybe Steelers one and a half. It's only five and a half. So Vegas is basically saying, we think Russell Wilson is worth four points more than Geno Smith, which I'm stunned by. I was also stunned by, I think they can win the game with Geno Smith. It's not like their defense is that good. If you look at, you know, the DVOA stuff and some of the advanced stuff about the Seattle D and you talk to their crazy fans, they're fifth in offense this year. They're 25th in DVOA. Mm -hmm. So naturally you go, well, they'll be worse without Wilson. That should drop a lot. I don't like the Steelers team. I don't know they why you would. I, I think Ben, he looked a little better last week, made a couple of plays, but he still puts a few up for grabs. It's a must win for Seattle. They can't lose another one. No, they can't. And... <laughs> They've had 10 days to prepare. 
Gino looked great last week. He went. He made one five. mistake. Granted, yeah, the mistake was he threw the ball 15 yards over somebody's head sure. for an interception no, at the end of the game. But slipped. Ah, whatever. It still was an overthrow. He played well. He came in hot and played fine. And then I look at that defense, that Seahawks defense, which is on pace to be historically the worst defense in the history of the sport yards-wise. I look at Jamal Adams, who is the highest paid safety in the league and was embarrassed last Thursday night and has no sacks and very few tackles for a loss this season. It's one of those games. It's like a gut check game. It's under the lights. It's it's going to be in Pittsburgh. I think Heinz Field will be rocking. Like I get the feeling that they're back in, but I also get the feeling that fan base might be like, oh shit, if Ben struggles early. And this one could be one of those where the where the Seahawks come in there, keep it close, and steal it late. I I, I don't. I watched that Denver Pittsburgh game last week, and although he threw a nice deep pass early, I didn't come away from that being like, oh, Ben's back, and the Steelers have fixed their problems. If anything. Najee Harris finally got going and they were focusing on him more, but I, I would not feel so confident in the Steelers just because they're home and they won last week. Let's go through their five, right? Buffalo, weird game. We're throwing that game out. I think that's the weird week one result. Mm-hmm. Week two, lose to Vegas, convincingly. Week three, lose to Cincinnati, convincingly. Week four, lose to Green Bay, pretty convincingly. Week five, they beat this Denver team that, as we discussed earlier, we don't think is good. Yeah. So. I don't, not sure they should be laying this many points against a decent team that needs to win. And I guess yeah. the question for me with Seattle is like, if they lose this game, even with Geno Smith, now, unless it's a Geno Smith just murdered us and we can't win with this guy. Yeah. But this is supposed to be a good team with a good coach and good veteran players. And it's a kind of game you rally around. It's mm-hmm. a kitchen sink game. It really this is. This is a, this is if, if Tyler Lockett can throw a pass on a double reverse. To somebody, this is the game you do it. And if they can't come close to winning this, then cross them off for the year, I think. I think it's a big game for the Steelers, too. So it's one of those deals. Steelers go two and four in the AFC, which is loaded right now. But they're not good, though. Do you think they're good? I don't know. I picked them before the season to to compete and be a wild card team. I just think they have enough great defensive players to, to hang around in games. But the way they beat Denver last week, like that's how they have to play. I don't know if they could do that every week. I don't know if Najee Harris behind that offensive line can run for 140 yards again. So, are we sure I, their defense is good? I like think they're it's 19th, good. 19th in DVOA. Awesome. 19th in DVOA right now, and that's a pretty big sample size. I think Cam Hayward, Minka, and when Watt is healthy and Bush are healthy, those guys are great. Okay. Like, I I would like the Seahawks with the points. I don't know if I would take them straight up, but I think at this, I think it's going to be closer than you might expect. Let's I like the Seattle. Seahawks. Let's go. I like them with the points. It's funny because when Gino came in and it was clear Wilson might be hurt, then it comes out Wilson has broken finger. My immediate reaction was, this is amazing. We get to bet on Gino Smith. I don't want to bet against him in this spot. I think That's he's going to make a couple of plays. Where I want to bet against him is when it's like they're minus eight against Detroit at home. It's like, oh, lock that down. They'll kill Detroit. And that's the game when he'll have like four turnovers. You know what's crazy? Geno Smith's now been in the league like nine years. And I know. He was with the the Jets. He was with the Giants. Like his old teammates like love that guy. Like, yeah. He's a like like he's one of those guys you want in the room. And when he went in the game, if you saw the social media outpouring from a lot of people in the NFL, like ex-players and current players, it was like, hell yeah, Gino, go get them. Like I think they might rally around him too. I think this might be like, this is Gino's game. Let's go win one for Gino too. And let's go do something with this guy. I don't know. It, I, I would like the Seahawks in this one. Let's go. Just going to ask you quickly about Panthers Vikings, which I didn't give you on a list because I'm not sure the Panthers are good, 
And you look I, at their their offensive DVOA stuff and some of their first down stats and things like that. It's pretty rough. Darnold looks like he's regressing. McCaffrey's 50-50, which is the reason I stayed away. That's it. I don't want to I don't want to have the Panthers and then he doesn't play. I don't want to go against the Panthers and he does play. So it's a stay away, but I th- I like Minnesota in that game. I'm not going to bet it though. McCaffrey's everything. And until we know his status, even if he does play, he might only play so many snaps. Like I would stay away. I've got Greg Joseph as the uh, visual behind me for those looking online. Our MVP. That guy has given us so many thrills and yet we've been on the right side of betting for and against him every time. I'd rather not be involved with the Greg Joseph experience. I'd stay away from the Vikings altogether. Underdog parlay of the week. We hit in week one. We've lost our last four. The goal is to hit this four times during the year and we make money. Our candidates this year, Bears plus 180, or this week, Bears plus 180 Packers, Lions plus 162, Seahawks plus 194, and Raiders plus 152. Hmm. So I think the Raiders should be part of this. Let's go. I'm in with that. Um, Bears, Lions, or Seahawks for the other piece? Let's go Lions. We talked ourselves into that. Let's go Lions. All right. We said Lions, Raiders, plus 575. Wow. Let's see. A little tasty. It's a tasty morsel. (laughs) All right, it's time. It's time. Let's do it. I feel like we're pretty confident this week. Like this week. These Sundays have been quite a roller coaster. This one feels like it's going to be a nice, easy Sunday. (laughs) Million Dollar Picks, week six. We are up 1.043 million for the season through five weeks. First bet. We can do a little seven-point teaser. Minus 130 VIG. We got to lay on this one. But we think it's going to be worth it. Chiefs minus six and a half. Rams minus nine and a half down to two and a half. Chiefs will basically be even. How much are we putting on this? We're going big, big? We go big, big? We went 700K last week and it hit. That Vikings game almost gave us a heart attack. Yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Fair. All right, so we're going to put 780K to win 600. Okay. On the Chiefs plus a half and the Rams down to two and a half. Straight up. Browns, Cardinals. What do you think? 250? Lower. Browns minus three. Lower? 200? Yeah. All right. Browns, Cardinals minus three. We're taking the Browns 200K on that one. Uh, Raiders Broncos, same or a little lower? 150? Same. This week is weird week. Let's just, let's, All right. let's have a nice, easy one where we just win every bet. I like it. 200K on the Raiders playing for themselves. Playing for them. Plus three and a half over Denver. Then we have the Seahawks plus five and a half against the Steelers. We're going to put 200K on them. Gino, you're the our Gino, papa this week. It's the Gino Smith game. It's the Gino Smith game. Lions Bengals plus three and a half. Are we betting on this or are we just putting it out? Oh, hey, stay away. Stay away. Let's, let's stay away. It. No, let's do it. All right. 200K Lions plus three and a half over the Bengals. I like this. We have yeah. some good dogs here. And then the underdog parlay of the week the Lions and the Raiders plus 575. We're going to put 33K on that yeah, as well. Great. Do you no. want to? See- you want to scale down the Raiders and the uh, Lions to a little less on the actual straight ups? Yeah, keep it? because we're putting them in the parlay. Yeah, let's scale them out in a little bit in the straight up. All right, so we'll put 150 on the Lions plus three and a half. And 
I want to keep the Raiders at plus three and a half. I think they're, I think they're, you know what? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. There you go. Those were the million dollar picks for week six. How's Kyle Brandt doing with, uh, post Cobra rewatchables? Is he just strutting around with a toothpick in his mouth? He's doing fantastic. His Stallone Stallone gets better and better as, as the days go by. I'm so happy we did it. I'm so happy we were able to introduce younger America to that movie. Um, All right. Say hi to everybody and good morning football. Say hi to everybody at Fox. We will see you next week. This could be another winning week. Are we sure we don't want to go 700K on the Rams? All right. We're good. All right. All right. We're good. Let's keep winning. Peter Schrager, good to see you. You're the best. All right. Jay Caspian Kang is with us. He was the second person we hired for Grantland. We worked together way back when. It's basically our 10-year anniversary. It's a little late. Uh, happy belated anniversary. Good to see you. Yeah, it, it feels like 10 years. It's just, if you, you know. <laughs> In some ways, it feels like 30 years. Yeah. It's like many lifetimes ago for both of us. Yep. You have a new book called The Loneliest Americans, which we'll talk about later. But uh, one of the things I loved about working with you, you, you were one of the first people who came in hot. You just had takes. We <laughs> would sit around the office and... <laughs> And uh, you've been on this pod a couple of times, usually, usually for real reasons that felt Kang centric. This Kyrie story is really kind of everything, everything in the Kang, whatever, with the Venn diagram of things right. that you're kind of interested in. Um, it went to another level this week. I can't tell if he wants to play basketball. I can't tell if he's just using the entire world now as a laboratory. Um, you're watching this from afar from the last couple of years. Uh, you like the Celtics a little bit. A little bit, then, yep. Then you watched them on the Nets. Like, what, what do you, Give us your take right now as we head toward the season on Kyrie. I, I think we need to return to Charles Barkley's, like, uh, I am not a role model with a lot of NBA players. <laughs> I <know>? like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we care way too much what NBA players think. And I think it's, it's not just the players. I think this actually started with Popovich and Kerr. You know, where like people would be like sort of clamoring over them at every, you know, they're like standing in the hallway underneath like Staples Center or something. And somebody's like, well, what do you think about this thing that happened? And then it would give statements that I think are important, you know, and ones that I agree with. But, you know, it it seemed to create this almost economy of like NBA player takes that then turned into something totally different last summer. And um, I don't know. I mean, I don't I, I don't think that this is like one of these things like, well, you made your bet, you know, like you you told us to pay all attention to you to not shut up and dribble. And now uh, this is what you get. But I do think that, you know, I think as people who are not in the NBA or people who aren't really invested in marketing the NBA, that we should just like kind of stop caring so much about what these guys think, you know, because uh, there's this thing now where everyone agrees on something. And then I don't know, you and Rosillo talk about this a lot. There's like all this incentive to zag. And I think like we're now just sort of seeing the zaggers, you know? <laughs> Zag way, culture. Right? We pay so much attention to them. Like Jonathan Isaac's going to be like the governor of Florida or something like that when all this is over, you know? So um, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I am not a role model. It just worked so well back then, you know? Maybe we should go back to some, some thoughts like that. I guess the one thing with this is it really does affect a team that seemed like they were the favorites to win the title. And it affects them profoundly. And in he controls his destiny or their destiny in an outsized way. But then I go back to the Durant decision two years ago where Durant, two times in his career, has had this moment where he could really decide from these amazing choices, right? Like in right, 2016, right, right. 
he could go play with the 73 win Warriors and basically maybe rattle off a three-peat. Or he could go be the guy in Boston and play with these young guys they had, all these picks, and just be in like basically a better version of the Oklahoma City situation. He chose Golden State. 2019, he clearly wants to break away from Golden State. He wants to play in New York. He's choosing between the Knicks and the Nets. And he could have just gone to the Nets, right? right? And they had an up-and-coming team. He could have just gone there by himself, but no, he attached himself to Kyrie, who at that point was behaving pretty erratically in Boston. I mean, it, that, that was why I posted on Twitter the uh, me driving Kyrie to the airport right, video because right, right, that had been right. a running joke for months. <laughs> right. and he was so bizarre in the Buck series. And Katie's like, that's my guy. And now you're seeing that backfire, but there's this weird loyalty with these guys to each other where Katie's not going to criticize him publicly at all. He's like, well, that's my guy. I got to stick by him. And it's like, do you? This guy's torpedoing your chances to win a title potentially. Well, I mean, you know, uh, you know Durant obviously better than than I do, or like a lot of people do. Like, wh- I don't understand why that is. I mean, it just seems like he makes decisions on this purely personal basis, right? And that he doesn't really think about the PR aspects or even some of the ramifications that come, could come down the line. I kind of admire that about him, honestly. I'm just yeah. like, well, I mean, it's kind of cool that you're just like, I'm going to I'm gonna stick up for my friend. You know, it's how I hope my friends would treat me. But uh, at the same time, you're just, sometimes you just scratch your head and you're like, how are you in this situation all the time? <laughs> right. You're so good at basketball. Yeah. And every off season, something like this, you know, it's just weird. Yeah. And at one point he was attached to probably the, one of the most stable superstars we have, Curry. Right, right. And he's like, ah, fuck this. I need to get out of here. I got to go with my crazy again. Uh, The thing with Kyrie, I guess, the part I don't understand from the KD side, like I think one of the reasons, maybe from some of the conversations I had with him over the years, but also like he's talked about it publicly, is like he really loved Kyrie's attitude toward basketball. He Like KD has this weird, not weird in a bad way, weird in a good way, like this weird appreciation for people who are just all about the right things basketball-wise, people who like really work in their craft, like craftsmen. That's his thing. That's what really gets him going. And I think even we talked about Kyrie before they were playing together on one of the pods I did with him. And he just had such an affection for how good Kyrie was and how hard it was to do some of the stuff that Kyrie does in a game and his ability to be ambidextrous and um, his handle. and, And I... and. What's crazy is that same appreciation doesn't seem to extend toward, I'm just going to show up for my teammates every day. Yeah, yeah. He'll do stuff like, remember he took like a week off or something for his birthday last year? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I try not to be so like a moralist about it or like even try and do these like analogies where I just think about my own life. Yeah. I don't know. Like when someone just doesn't show up, it's just so disrespectful, you know? And, and, um, I think I don't know. It's interesting what you said before, though. I do think there is this thing where NBA players sort of overvalue people who can do skilled things that they can't do. Like that was sort of the aura around Kobe all the time, right? Like yep. you would watch Kobe. I know, when I was working at Grantland, like Mays, and I would go to some of these games, and I, we could watch Kobe up close, and I'd just be like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> you know, like he did fifteen moves. And it's hard to see yeah. on television. So if you're trying to guard him, I, so with Kyrie, I think it's the same thing. You know, like there's just so much appreciation, even if. It doesn't lead to wins. Um, yeah, it's like he's like a unicorn 
in a way that only the other basketball players could see. It's like how the chefs right, can right. respect these other chefs right. and they, they'll notice things that you and I would never notice <laughs> about how somebody made like a lobster bisque. Right, right. I'm like, oh, no, you don't understand. Like he put this in there and you're right. like, what? I don't know what you're talking or about. Or like writers sometimes are like that, right? Like sometimes I'll read somebody who like, you know, has like 800 followers on Twitter and is publishing in like the Oxford American or something like that. I'm like, oh my God, you know, and then, <laughs> right. like, like, this is the best writer I've ever seen. And then, uh, you know, the piece will be about something, you know, that I don't care about, but you know, I, you, you do have a different type of appreciation. I don't know. I think that's probably what Katie thinks, right? Maybe that's what he thinks about Kyrie and his, and uh, I don't know. It's that, that might even be why Kyrie's so popular amongst other NBA players. Uh, maybe the showing up isn't as important to them. Would you trade for him? No. We talked about this a little on Tuesday. I, I floated out like kind of semi-jokingly a Spurs thing. Oh, yeah. I heard that. <laughs> the Spurs fans that. were not happy. <laughs> they really were. They were like, wait, why, why do we get stuck with this guy? It's like, well, you have yeah. no All-Stars. That could be a right, reason. Right, right. I don't, uh, no, I don't, I can't think of a single trade that would make sense. You know, like, uh, I thought somebody was saying that the Mavs should trade Porzingis for him. And it's like, no. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that would be crazy. I think I would rather have Porzingis at this point. Um, yeah. I don't think, I, I honestly don't think Kyrie wants to play basketball anymore. You know, and I, I think that's part of it right now. And I think he's using It seems like, yeah, we've been moving it, moving that right, way right. for and a couple of years. That's, I don't know. I, that's fine. But, you know, Ricky Williams didn't want to play football anymore. And he, he went out and he, you know, lived in a tent. He, explore the world and explored, you know, what was inside of him. And it's great, you know, people respect him for it. So I don't know. I think Kyrie just needs to stop playing basketball and it'll be fine. You know, like no one will, no one, no one will have a problem with it. I don't think except his teammates, I guess. The Ricky Williams thing's a good analogy because that was treated a certain way as it was happening. And then I think after a year or two years, especially as people started reevaluating how they right. felt about football, they started reevaluating how they felt about the Ricky Williams thing. And then it was like, hey, wait a second. Maybe he did make a good move leaving. And maybe, you know, it ties into a lot of the stuff that people talk about now about mental health. And, right, right. Um, and now you look back at the reaction people had to that. It was like, man, they cut, people kind of sucked with that Ricky Williams thing. I know. I think we're more evolved now. But like even and I think if a player just said, hey, I want to like, you know, explore cannabis and I want to you know, I want to look at the world and I want to grow as a human. I, I think people would applaud it now. You know, the problem with Kyrie is that like, he can't even tell you what his problem with anything is, right? Like he does these, he does these like Instagram live videos and he's basically just like, no, his, his statements are always just like, nobody knows what I have, to, what I'm actually saying. You know, it's like, well, you have the camera on you right now. Why don't you just say it? <laughs> yeah, just explain it. You're right yeah. there. <laughs> Every, the media is always wrong reporting what I'm saying. And uh, nobody actually knows what I'm saying. It's just like, okay, like, uh, I don't think that's true because you don't say anything ever. You know, you just say like, uh, the truth is elsewhere. It's just like, what's the, tr what's the truth then? Please tell yeah, me. Yeah, it reminds me of the old L. Ron Hubbard commercials way back when, <laughs> when it, it seemed like some alternate language was happening. It's like, oh, I find the power of it. And you're like, what's going on? Is this a real thing? Kyrie yeah. seems like he's... He totally understands what he's saying, but can't articulate it really to anybody else. And I right, don't, right. I don't half the time even really know what he's frustrated with or upset with or how genuine it is or how authentic it is and whether it is or not. I, I just don't know. And I, that's why I've been hesitant to, I mean, he was terrible to root for as when he came to the Celtics, oh, yeah. especially the second year. It was awful. We couldn't wait for him to leave. But at the same time, like, I, I can't tell if there's 
something wrong with him or if there's, he's perfectly fine. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know how to evaluate it. I, I think he's perfectly fine. I just think that, you know, I, I really just think that like, there's part of him that's like, I, I, I owe it to people to play basketball, but then there's like a large part of him that just doesn't want to play basketball anymore. Yeah. And when those, I don't, can you think of a person who didn't want to kind of clearly didn't like playing basketball, who had a, you know, who kind of got out of it. Like the last person I was thinking about was like Andrew Bynum, where Andrew, it was very clear that all Andrew Bynum wanted to do is to play video games. He didn't like playing basketball. He's one of these people yeah. who was seven two, and so he had to play basketball. And then once he, it became clear, he just, he was out of the league in two years, which was, you know, interesting because he was sort of on pace to be multiple all-star. Uh, Some people who they're just in pain or they've had injuries and they just right. don't feel like the grind of it. Like Maravich left pretty early. He only played like nine, 10 years. Right, but his right. knees, like, were killing him, you know, right, and he just right. didn't want to deal with it. It's pretty rare to see somebody who, you know, when he still wants to be really good, is as good as he's ever been at any point in his career. He certainly had those moments last year. It was completely unstoppable. It's not like he's declined physically in any way. No, I but, mean, and he's like, you know, he's still the guy who hit those shots over Steph, you know, in yeah. the finals. <laughs> so you would think you would want that guy. Um, and... uh yeah, it's just weird. I, I guess Kareem is the one they would say that about Kareem, but I actually think Kareem loved playing basketball, you know? like uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he certainly yeah. played more minutes than anyone. Yeah, the thing with Kyrie is, I, you know, with the Simmons thing, it was clearly a work, right? Like, they're, they're just trying to get traded. They're exhausting all the options. They end up right. costing him a million dollars as they're trying, right. but it, it's all like some sort of endgame. It was like he was going to stop playing basketball. Yeah, yeah. The Kyrie yeah, yeah. thing... I, you know, if this ends with him just getting vaccinated two weeks from now and coming back and saying, I've proved my point. And everybody would be like, okay, cool. <laughs> like, I could totally see how that put, that that's right. how this would play out, right? I could also see a world in which he's just like, I'm good and does the Ricky Williams thing and just does 28-minute Instagram videos all year and is talking in some coded whatever that none of us are really totally understanding what's going on. Like that Instagram live thing he did yesterday. Right, that was right. kind of incoherent. Totally incoherent. I would be very disappointed if you got vaccinated and, and went, and I would be, I would be happy as like a citizen of America who thinks that people should get vaccinated. Yeah. But I mean, I would, I would just be so, I just think you, you put everyone through this, all your teammates through this, uh, you know, you put your organization through this, your friend, you know, like, I guess that's a part that bothers me the most. It's just like, like, I, I don't really, I don't really care. It's Kyrie Irving. I'm not his friend, you know, but I, yeah. I guess when you think about it yourself, you're just like, this dude just played in the Olympics. You know, he almost beat Milwaukee by himself. He's, he's had a horrible injury. He's trying to be like, you know, like, I don't know, like, well, if he wins two more titles with Kyrie, like, where is he, you know, top five all time, somewhere around there. Right. Yeah. And he's, like, I have him 10th now. He so. cares about it. And so why don't you just show up and make some money and play basketball with him? <laughs> you know, give me a, give me a, two more takes. All right. All right. Um, this one, I, I want to preface by saying, uh, please don't be mad at me. Great. NBA analytics people, but, uh, Oh, Oh, I already, I already <laughs> like it. <laughs> I think NBA analytics is like pretty much done, you know? Oh, I, I, <laughs> 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 it's finished. Okay. Yeah, Make your all right, case. All right. Now I want to preface it by saying, I'm not saying that individual player stuff and little plays that, you know, and ways to evaluate players, like all that stuff is done. It's done at a proprietary level by teams. It's important. But I think in terms of changing the way the game is played on a significant level, like it did with the corner three point shots, stuff like that. 
I, I just don't think that there's going to be anything that happens in the next 10 years that's analytics based because uh, we haven't seen it in the past few years. And, uh, you know, I have some friends who work in this, uh, you know, one of them created this thing called Dark Ocean Forecasting System. I've talked yeah. to him about it. And he agrees, you know, it's just like, yeah, you know, it's all small stuff now. And so kind of think like that. I, and I think that people will start to find other inefficiencies in the ways that players are evaluated. Like, do you remember when, like the Red Sox signed Mike Cameron and no one could understand it? Because they're like, I thought Moneyball was just about like, uh, yeah. you know, on base percentage. But then it turned out that basically they found out that defense was like the thing that wasn't valued correctly. Yeah. Um, I think there'll be small things like that. But I, I, I actually think that, uh, you know, this is what basketball is going to look like and that uh, the analy- you know, analytics are over. <laughs> you know, like we don't have to pay attention to them so much anymore or to believe that they're the only way to do it. And that, you know, we can kind of just sort of think about the NBA playoffs as like who has the shot makers, which is actually the fun way to think about it. You know, like, um, I don't know, like think about like Chris Middleton last year, right? Like, it's just like, all right, you know, <laughs> like he... He came up huge in these moments. And I actually, I'm happy for that because that, I don't know, that's how I like to watch basketball. It's just like, all right, like what's on the line for this guy? You know, who's playing with emotion? Uh, you know, who, who's going to hit these shots? Who's going to come up big? I don't know. I think we'll start thinking about basketball way more that way. Like I think the analytics part of it will be less part of the future of the conversation. I think it will be a huge part of the way that teams operate. But Because we'll we're talk. kind of, we finished it. It's like in baseball. Right. I, I was just talking, uh, I'm on this crazy Red Sox thread that um, we're just so delighted that this weird Red Sox team is in the final four. Yeah, I yeah, just can't yeah. believe it. <laughs> and we were talking about um, the 1978 team that lost to the Yankee team um, in the playing game. And we were, somebody mentioned how they loved Rick Burleson. And like Rick Burleson had a 295 on base that year for the Red Sox and batted second. And he had, wow. he was, he had eight steals and eight caught stealings. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, you look at it now and it's like, what the hell are we doing? How did anybody right. not realize this is not somebody that should be batting right, right in front of Jim Rice? Yeah. Um, and then it evolves over the years. And now we get to where we get to, where it's like, yep, guys who get on base are more valuable. Right. Um, home runs are bus guys. Those are valuable. The relievers that can come in through 99. And we they've kind of like figured out baseball for better and worse. I don't, like the home run stuff as much, but for the most part, there's not a lot of ways to go. They've done the shifts, right? Right. Everything they've they've taken the advanced intelligence as far as it can go. I wonder with basketball, it would seem like the mental part, mental makeup would be the great inefficiency now. How to how what makes somebody like Giannis different than somebody else who's a great player? What does he have in him from a competitive standpoint? From a relentlessness standpoint? From working on his game from never being satisfied. Is that something you can measure as you're trying to figure out who to draft? And yeah, I think I, that's, I think that's where a lot of the teams are now is like mental makeup. I think it's hard to figure out like on who to draft, you know, like I'm here in the Bay area and I become kind of obsessed with Kaminga you know, yep. because like he's sort of this, I kind of don't believe what everyone says about him. You know, yeah. So just like, and then I think I, I'm sort of rooting for him to do well, because I think that those types of, evaluations where they're like, oh, he didn't, you know, he's looking like he's not trying hard in these areas are wrong. But at the same time, you know, I've watched some of those clips and I'm like, yeah, you know, it looks like he's really not trying Looks like he's mailing hard. it in. Yeah. Not yeah. a great side. <laughs> um, so I don't think it could be like a sort of 
that type of evaluation. But yeah, I think that they're going to try and figure that out because that does seem to be the big difference between these guys, right? It's like, you know, everyone comes in as a huge talent with a ton of different, with yeah. a ton of different skills. And then it just seems like the guys who are good are the ones who, you know, work at it hard. It's hard to tell when someone's 18 years old. So, um, but at the yeah. same time, like they're, like there are red flags we ignore if somebody's super talented, like Ben Simmons. Right. Kind of, kind of mailed in his college year and was just good. And, and then it was like, well, it was his coach's fault. There are all these excuses. But then you'd think like, would, would Giannis have mailed in the LSU year? Or, or would, no. even if he wasn't that good yet, would he have just tried to bust his ass and done as much as he can? Probably. Right. So right. I guess that's, I think that's kind of where they're going. I think Kaminga is a really good example of like Kaminga, incredibly tooled, like the, the, the five to a baseball player for basketball. He's like, Willie, yet, he's like Willie Mopena. Right. <laughs> and people are looking at him going, yeah, but I saw right. this G League game where he just jogged up and down for two hours. Like that's yeah. a bad sign. All right. What's yeah. your third take? All right. Uh, third take is that uh, Portland should trade everything that, that Philly is asking for, for Ben Simmons. I don't even know if that's a hot take, but like, I, I think they have to. Like, I don't think that they have any choice here. You know, I, I, it's like people are saying that Philly has all the leverage and I would agree with that, at that in some ways. But I also think that Portland's in this desperate situation where they're going to have to give up CJ and whoever else and all the pick swaps and stuff like that. Like, I don't, I don't see a world in which... Uh, so you think there's a four to five month shelf life with this damn thing? Right. That right. if they don't save it now, it's over. Yeah, and also like Portland is never going to get out of the first or second round. You know, like, yeah. uh, they're so capped out in what they can do. And I think that like, what's the worst case scenario of what happens if they trade for Ben Simmons? Dame leaves, it goes badly. They still have Ben Simmons, right? Like they still have a guy who they can build around. And, uh, I don't know, like, I, I just don't know what like draft picks in the, you know, 15 to 25 range is going to do for them. So they might as well just, you know, they might as well just go for it. And, yeah, they're um, almost doing the Rams trading all the first round picks trying to be better now. I wonder, like, I'm not the first person to make this point, but like Toronto, all of a sudden they're in the finals. They get make one move and right. they're there. Phoenix last year, they're not even, they can't even make the playoffs and they get Chris Paul. All of a sudden things come together. Right. And now I wonder does that make like 10 to 11 other teams think point to those two instances and go, no, that could be us. No. So like Portland's like, no, well, we have Dame, we have McCollum and now we get Larry Nance. And now it's like, why, why not us? I, I think they're in why not us mode. I think yeah, that Phoenix thing was a real thing for other teams. Right, Portland is always in why not us it's just because they have no other teams <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, you know, there's like this song that I was listening to by this guy from Sacramento he's like I don't know he's he's not a great rapper but he did this song about the Kings called like we're not that bad and I was like it's amazing because that's basically like the that's like basically the motto of the Kings you know <laughs> the Portland motto is basically like why not us you know and it's like well I don't know you know it never is the team is one at us and their fans are like, what's your problem with us? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they're exactly. two things. Don't you um, dare. <laughs> yeah. You, you shut up. You're not from here. Yeah. Um, tell us about your book. Uh, yeah, it's The uh, Loneliest Americans. It's about like the, you know, process of assimilation post-1965 Immigration Act, which is like the big landmark uh, immigration bill that basically made it so that uh, Asian people, people from Africa, people from Southern Western Europe could come to the United States. 
it's why like uh, United States is so different now than it was in like 1964 even. And uh, it's a lot of history about how, you know, those immigrants moved around and sort of, you know, entered America. If you want to know why, uh, for example, like Koreatown is changed from, you know, 1991 to now, like there's a history of that. Flushing, New York, there's a history of that. There's a lot of stuff just about like my own family and uh, you know, my parents also came post 1965, and um, yeah, it's it's uh, makes an argument that uh, you know we're 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 not a binary country anymore, and that um, you know we should start thinking about the country a little bit differently than we do. Well, it's available now, and <laughs> for everybody listening, um, the reason the reason I reached out to Kang, he wrote this piece about uh, it was Beyonce, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 The diva yeah. scale. And right. We were talking about it recently. That was still when the internet was fun. It was so Cause fun. now I feel like you, you, if that piece goes up, then you have the whole Beyonce side, all the crazy fans, right, right, they're right. mad about something. And you're a young writer at that point and you're getting nailed with tweets and you're maybe you're in the wrong headspace and you never tried to write another piece like that. That's what worries me about writing in 2021. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I think back then it, we could try and do anything, you know. You could experiment. Right. And it was like, okay, if you kind of missed on a piece or if it was right. 10% off, now it's like you can't miss. And it's like everything, people get like that was, I read that for the all, which, you know, like it wasn't a small place, but it was also not a place. I got paid like 50 bucks, you know. Yeah. And so like, uh you know, like you could sort of say that this is a low stakes thing and people would kind of get that. But now the the issue, I think like, I don't know, like I, I'm generally skeptical to claims that like, you know, everybody is out to, or like we're living in fear. But I think that for writers, it is kind of true, you know, like that, that people aren't willing to take risks because everyone can make an argument that everything is, is like the most important thing in the world. You know, like, I can't believe you tweeted this, for example, or whatever. And, um, I don't know. I think it does have like kind of a chilling effect. I'm glad that we came, that I came up in that fun era of the internet. I do think like people are a little too nostalgic about it, but you know, it was fun to just be like, Hey, you know, like here's my blog, you know, I don't remember, uh, like we found so many writers that way where it's just like, Oh my God, this person has an amazing WordPress or like this person's, uh, blog spot is great. And, uh, yeah, we spent, we spent how many months there just looking for people who stood out in some way. And it was like right, right. the weirder, more eccentric or kind of, I don't know, funnier, whatever, whatever, pick an adjective. If it stood out for some way, that was who we wanted to work with. Yeah. Like Brian Phillips, right. He's just writing his like uh run and play blog. And we're just like, wow, you know, maybe this would work. And <laughs> where, where was Rember? You found, you were the one that found uh, Rember. Yeah. Where was that? Yeah. He did a, uh, he did a bracket of outcast songs. I think it was. And my, um, my buddy from college was his TA. Uh, mm. and Rem's like grad school program. And he was like, you should read this. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, this is the most entertaining thing I've read. <laughs> I actually we, found, we, yeah. I found the email recently where we convinced him to basically quit his path to whatever his grad degree was to come work for us. But we had to right. convince his mom. <laughs> those, were great, those were great days. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of conversations like that. Like remember, um, you know, this guy's like a, you know, remember like we were trying to get Matt Flegenheimer, who's now like, you know, like a 
big reporter at oh, the yeah, time. Oh yeah, he turned us down. Yeah, he, he would did. email me every every year to be like, I kind of half regret it, but I'm doing really well. Right, right. Now he's like one of their best reporters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like a big star there. And we, uh, I think he was at Penn at the time, or he was in college, and we we're like, hey, come work for us. And he was like, I can't. <laughs> so, yeah, I have this New York Times thing. That, that yeah, was it was like fun. an extremely fun time, just like trying to find those writers. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck with your book. Hey, thank you. Um, it was good to see you. Do you have plans for the next book or you're going to you're gonna wait a couple? Oh, my God. No. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the space. I think you were you told me you were in after book of basketball or just like never again. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> yeah. It's like <laughs> I hope I keep to it because, you know, like I, I don't know. This whole week I feel I felt like I've. Uh, you know, like I told my wife, I was like, it feels like I had a, like a concussion, you know, like, right. I can't, like I have no idea what's going on. I wake up and it feels like it's still night. And uh, <laughs> then, then I have to go talk to like uh, some NPR station and, you know, yeah. and say the same thing over and over again. So yeah, it's, uh, I appreciate it, but um, no, it's been, it's been a bit harrowing. So hopefully never again. All right, Kang, it was great to see you. Ah, good to see you. All right, that's it for the podcast. It was produced by Kyle Creighton. Don't forget about our FanDuel contest. The ringer win totals pick them. Just go to fanduel.com slash win totals pick them. Don't forget about the Prestige TV podcast where you can find Succession, 25 best characters, me and Joe House. Don't forget about the rewatchables, which I'm also on. Me and Kyle Brandt at Cobra this week. Next week, Monday, 35th anniversary of The Color of Money. Another Scorsese film. It's Scorsese month on The Rewatchables. Very excited for that. I will see you on Sunday night after Pat's Cowboys. Hopefully the cousin and I are still talking. See you then.